This episode of the Gondrepreneur Podcast is made possible by 420 friendly service providers in the Gondrepreneur Business Directory. If you need professional help with your business, from accounting to legal services to consulting, marketing, payment processing, or insurance, visit gondrepreneur.com slash businesses to find service providers who specialize in helping cannabis entrepreneurs like you. Visit the Gondrepreneur Business Directory today at gondrepreneur.com slash businesses. Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and thank you for listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Uh, today, I'm joined by Jonte James. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's founder of Nature Track, which is a free track and trace software uh, for the cannabis space. How you doing today, Jonte? TJ, I'm doing great. How about yourself? It's good to have you, man. It's, uh, you know, it's a, we're, we're coming down on, uh, you know, the beginning of, of summer. So, uh, you know, weather, weather's, weather's going well, and then it's uh, great to have you today. Uh, before we sort of get into the, what's going on with Nature Track, and uh, let's, let's hear about you. Uh, what's, what's your background? How'd you get involved in the space, man? Yeah, it was an interesting journey um, into the cannabis space. Um, um, like you said in the beginning, I'm a serial, serial entrepreneur, right? So I started my first tech company at 25, um, sold that at 28, and then now I've kind of been on this path. Um, and coming into the cannabis space, I actually had a really good friend and actually my business partner in Nature Track. Um, he was a operator, um, cultivator for about 15, maybe 16 years. And he was like, hey, it's going to be legal in California. I'm like, really? You really think it's going to pass in California? I'm like, what people don't know about California, California is a red state covered in blue. Uh, and I was like, well, let's see what you got going on. And so it was at that time, he was basically, you know, he was teaching me about the cultivation and operation. And he was showing me the loopholes that he was going through under the collective model, the um, Prop 215. And so it was at that point in time, I was like, hey, man, if this is really going legal, then these holes need to be filled. Um, and, and that's where um, Nature Track was formed. I, I gathered um, other tech-minded um, individuals that I worked with in the past from Apple and Google and Facebook, and we started to create our, our first MVP. Um, our first MVP was a company by the name of Bluntly, and it was a patient license and business license verification platform. And we caught the eye of KPMG. And KPMG is obviously one of the government big four. And they were looking to actually build the cannabis activity tracking system for the state of California. And I got the subcontract um, due to the domain knowledge that we had. Um, but in that RFP process, they found out how much the award was going to be, um, you know, anywhere from four to five million dollars a year. That's a rounding error to them. And they jumped out. But the special thing about that is um, they left me with all the functional requirements, system requirements, the architecture that they were looking for. Um, it was literally the system that the state wanted. And so it was like, hey, um, let's build this. So we put our money to get, uh, together and we built the entire system. 
and that became Nature Track. So before we talk about Nature Track, you said that you know you had, you had worked with uh, people from some from some massive tech companies, uh, Facebook, Google, Apple. Um, was there any hesitation on their part uh, getting involved in even in the ancillary side of the cannabis industry? Um, not these individuals, but <laughs> yes, they were. Um, I mean, those companies, one of, uh, one of my good friends that was working at Apple actually runs the worldwide supply chain of the Apple Watch. And they're like, hey, really want to help with this? can't have my name on anything (laughs) just because of, you know, Apple's, um, you know, terms and conditions and stuff. You can't be building programs and all these other things. Otherwise, you know, Apple will try to look to kind of be a part of it or they'll try to claim it as their self. So, you know, they were really on the peripheral version, you know, giving updates, finding people for me. Um, at that point in time. So there was some hesitancy, but they're also looking for the new biggest, greatest thing. I mean, that's the one thing about, you know, some of these large tech companies or just being in Silicon Valley um, in general, everybody wants to be part of the next the next thing. Well, and there's been a lot of parallels drawn between the early days of the tech boom and, you know, these days of, of the cannabis industry. Oh, yeah. So the parallels are all there. I mean, um, the opportunity is vast, right? And we're not even really scratching the surface of what, um, you know, what tech can be in cannabis. Um, so people, you know, they're watching and if they're not watching, they're in it. You just don't know they're in it. Right. <laughs> so, so tell me about nature track, man. How's it different from, uh, the other tracking systems that are in the space? Yeah, good question. I mean, we get this all the time, and it's it's been a whirlwind of a ride, right? So, I mean, I told you how we kind of got the platform and was able to build it there, but it was at that time I streamlined it mobile, and I I built on an enterprise level API on top of that. What that main Nature Track is, Nature Track is literally track and trace for banks or financial institutions, right? Um, we're able to aggregate the data. There's so um, In the tech um, space in cannabis, you have big players, you have seed-to-sell softwares, you have POSs and transportation management and warehouse warehouse management, you name it. There's, There's a lot of systems that are coming in. None of them talk to each other. Right. Everybody's trying to build Oracle. Um, Oracle was not built in a couple of years. Oracle's been around for a very long time. So there's, there's this rush to become Oracle. And Nature Track is just that simple, full compliant system that can aggregate the data. And the reason why we're tracking Trace for banks is that the, the state credit union or the state charter banks or the credit unions that do want to be in the space, that do want to help bake the industry um, behind the coal memo, um, they need a way to prove that everything's transparent and legal, right? In our bank, our normal banking every day, I send you a wire or, you know, a Zelle payment and it says, you know, what is this service for? Oh, it's an invoice for consulting. Oh, thumbs up, right? Um, but in the cannabis space, um, you have a transaction of ten thousand or fifteen, twenty, a million dollars that comes through. You know, they're like, "Oh, let's do our normal audits." I check out your website. There's cannabis. Oh, this is money laundering. Shut it down, right? And so, what Nature Track does is because we're that track and trace 
platform, we can aggregate that data from MJ Freeway or a trellis or a BioTrack or metric or even our full suite uh, of products with our inventory management, our logistics, our marketplace, so that when that transaction goes through and they do that audit, they call NatureTrack and we pull all that track and trace data for them, no matter what system they're using. So they'll know when that that batch was put into the ground, how it moved through the life cycle, every employee that touched it at that point in time. The COAs and the R&Ds that's on there, the logistics route it took to distribution, the sales order that it came from the dispensary, um, and even that purchase from the consumer. We provide them all that data in real time. And then it's like, this is a legally tracked product or um, transaction. Um, Keep this going. It's really an ingenious sort of hole that, that you filled in, in the industry. Um, what were the challenges for you developing this tech? Um, yeah, there was definitely some challenges that we went through. Um, but being in the Silicon Valley space, um, I kind of knew how to build you know, enterprise SaaS solutions. Um, I was After I sold my company, I was with a boutique VC and I, I was working with early stage SaaS um, companies for the next 10 years. So I kind of already knew some of the pitfalls that people would run into. And just, you know, hindsight um, is always 2020. But, you know, I just had foresight in this case that when I was looking at the competition coming in, I'm like, nobody wants to connect to everybody. And, and just think about the technology that we use every day. Right. Everybody connects to people. You know, you can log in through your Facebook or you can log in through your Google account or you can use this here and you can use that. Like everything is all pulling data and working um, together. And in the cannabis industry, we weren't doing that. So I was like, there's no way coming so late into the game. Am I going to be able to build a platform that can rival um, some of the solutions that have been around for the last, you know, five, six years? You know, they got a lot of runway. So how do we become that conduit or that aggregator of the data? Um, And in those challenges, it's just, you know, it's just time, right? Um, I didn't think we would be able to get to the banks. Um, That took took calls from PayPal coming out of nowhere, other payment processors, um, other credit unions that started contacting me. And I really didn't even think um, that was the way that we were going. But other than that, you know, the normal interim cycles, right? We went through our beta testing, really hardening the product, just trying to understand what the operators were going to um, going through. But from a compliance perspective, because we had, you know, the specifications from the state of California, I had the strong baseline. So we're a bulletproof. I demoed to the FBI. We have no been approved by the OCC. We've been approved by the FDIC, right? I have a 104-page, you know, BSA AML report that shows how we line up with the Cole Memo, how we meet all the specifications. But that's all great if it doesn't work for the client. And then how do we be flexible and just meet that compliance angle so these people can run their businesses? And, and that was probably the biggest challenge because they didn't want to share information. There was problems, but they didn't want to tell us what the problems were. They just rather keep it to themselves. And, you know, some of these 
um, individuals and operators, you know, these are third, fourth, fifth generation farmers. And I wouldn't say that they're not tech savvy, but tech doesn't play that major role in their everyday life, right? They're using cell phones, they're doing Amazon, you know, they're doing Grubhubs and Ubers and Lyfts. And that's about it, right? Like they're every day in the garden, you know, this is their mind. They breathe it, you know, they live this um, and they're not using, um, you know, technology to kind of manage it. And so it's really just trying to get time with the operators to fill those gaps already having that um, basis of compliance. It was banking when you went out and then you started talking to all these farmers, you know, you're a tech guy. I'm, I'm sure you probably haven't dealt with a whole lot of farmers. Um, was that their most common problem that, that they said to you was the banking issue? Well, the, the most common problem they actually told me was getting paid. Um, right. So you always got to follow the money. And yes, it was it was a challenge at first coming to them. <laughs> um like definitely not my wheelhouse at the time. You know, I was very clean cut, had the suit jacket on. <laughs> and then my business partner's like, hey, man, you can't be coming like that. You got to dress like you're going out to the club or to the basketball games and stuff. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to change my my wear, grew a little beard. And then, uh, <laughs> just like, and then, you know, some of those walls started to come down. But yeah, the biggest thing um, that they were always dealing with, especially from the farmer's perspective, was getting paid. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, I'm like, this doesn't happen in any other industries. Like, how are you sitting on, you know, 45, 60, 90 day receivables? I mean, there's got to be a faster way to do this. And I mean, obviously because it's cash, you know, you're relying on other people, right? They're doing a lot of CODs and stuff. So it was just like, well, how can we get you one compliant so that you can run your business, be proud to speak at your kids' schools, you know, be able to purchase homes, you know, the whole, everything that everybody else does. Like, how do we solve that? And then how do we shorten this gap on this lead time? And that's, you know, just being able to go cashless. People need bank accounts. Um, and how, how can we provide them? So this is a free software, right? Yes, this is completely free. So tell me so tell me about the impetus behind that and how you can offer this for free. Yeah, so I mean, as I said, we were like a SaaS platform, but we've really flipped to a fintech business model. So we make money on the money moving through our system. So we have the partnerships with the payment processors and the banks, and then we're just eating crumbs off the transaction. So it's many of the merchant services that are happening, you know, every day, right? MasterCard, Visa. Every time somebody swipes a card, you know, there's a, you know, a fraction of cost that's getting siphoned off at each point. Um, in the cannabis industry, it's a little bit more. You know, you're looking at anywhere from 1% to 3%. Some people are doing 5%, um, but we do a rev share on that. So we do all the compliance. Um, because we do the compliance and we have that system to give um, financial institutions confidence, to be in there, um, we're able to lower the prices. Um, so we're typically at 1% on cash pickups. So we're only charging them 1% on that. And then we only charge them a half of a percent or 50 basis points on any ACH or electronic tra- um, transfers. And it's always important to know there that the seller pays. 
but yeah, it's volume for us. So we need to get lots of people on. We need people to get accounts and we need to be able to move the money in a closed loop compliant ecosystem. So you mentioned that there's a, there's a rev share going on this revenue share, I'm assuming. Yes. How, how does that work? So that's just basically um, the merchant service cost. So if you were to open up, uh, let's just call it a 7-Eleven or any kind of like boutique store or a clothing store, um, when you have your terminals there to accept, you know, debit and or credit cards, there's always a fee that they're charging. Um, if you use Square, right, Square charges, um, I think it's $2.95 plus um, 25 cents or two and, or 2.95% plus 25 cents on every transaction, right? So there's always a transaction cost um, that you're paying. So that fraction that we're charging on on the transaction cost is what the payment processors or the financial institutions are sharing in their net revenue on that. Cool. Um, You recently spoke at the State of the Cannabis Conference, um, you know, about all of this. And and I want to ask you, you know, what was sort of uh, the overall sort of feeling there, you know, when it came to how operators, you know, the, the mood of operators, I guess. And um, are, are those events more important for startups like yours? Uh, yeah. So talking about the operators, it's great. Um, I love going to those type of events. You, you really get a, a vibe of the community of, the collaboration that's needed out there and just people looking for resources, right? You know, they want to have a, a successful business and they're looking for these resources and, and how do you meet them there? Um, so we do, we do very well um, at the trade shows, such like at, you know, state of cannabis, you know, great resources for us. Um, it's, it's paramount for a startup to be in that because it also gives you a landscape of what your competition's doing. There's only so much research you can do on, you know, the web or calling up um, operators and asking them what they're using. You're going to get a lot of different perspectives, right? But then when you're at those shows, you can really see what maybe the competition is doing, but not only just the competition, but you can find partners where you guys can share and collaborate and now bring, you know, have value ads that we bring, um, you know, to the operators at the end of the day. I mean, at the end of the day, you need to have a product that works, that helps them. And if that means you have to partner with company XYZ, then you should partner with them because that makes both of your companies um, valuable. Um, But in terms of, the state of cannabis, they did a really great job. I mean, they, they had a, a social equity or a diversity angle to it, which was great. Um, really providing resources and knowledge on that side. Um, I was, I was thankful to be able, oops, I was thankful to be able to speak, um, at that time, um, and just share some of my insights on, raising money and, you know, being an early stage startup and just some of the pitfalls that I've ran into, you know, being a serial entrepreneur and, and knowing, Hey, I have this product and banging on, you know, a thousand doors, you know, uh, with my, my, <laughs> with my hat out looking for money to keep the, the business going. Um, so I think it was very receptive. Um, I look forward to doing more of those. 
Um, we will always try to have some form of presence at the trade shows. Obviously, there's there's a cost to those, so you you got to be strategic in the ones that they use, but um, definitely valuable. So you mentioned that the the State of Cannabis Conference had a, a diversity and uh, and social equity angle. Uh, could you tell me about your experience uh, being a black entrepreneur in the space? There really aren't that many. Um, you know, that work in the cannabis industry for a variety of reasons. And, um, you know, I, I also know that when you were sort of doing the cold calls and, and the early stages of building the business, you would often use a nickname to, to, to so, so tell me about your experience, why you use that nickname, just sort of give me some insight here, man. Uh, yeah, definitely. So the nickname is basically JJ. <laughs> so I just started out just using my initials. And I, I mean, that goes to your way earlier question when I had, you know, friends from the Facebooks and the Apples and stuff. We were just trying to find a way to be like, oh, let's not use our names. Let's let's just do the uh, initials for now until we really see where that's going. But I mean, it played a great part in, you know, me being a, a black entrepreneur in the space or just in the tech space um, in general, because then there's no preconceived notions on who I am. Right. They're taking me at face value for the information that I'm providing, um, my articulation of what we're doing, um, the experience and the schooling that I've had. So I'm not meeting a barrier right out the gate. It's just like, oh, this is great. But I've I've always seen the aha moments when, you know, it's that time we we finally meet in person. Then it's like, oh, you're JJ. So <laughs> I do get that a lot. But you know, it's just part, you know, this is the world we live in to a certain extent. It's 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 challenging being a black entrepreneur, not just in the cannabis space, but just in the tech space in general. Um, and I don't think it's to anybody's fault of their own. I don't think that there's any racism or anything that's going on. I just think that, you know, we do have certain stereotypes that are that we see all the time. Right. We the images that we see on TV and everything is what perpetuates what people respond to us. Right. We're always the entertainers or, you know, the, the athletes or were to play, you know, as, you know, the gangbangers yeah. <laughs> or the drug dealers in this case. So you see us being portrayed in those all the time. So then when you see somebody who's doing tech or is a doctor or who is a lawyer, you know, sometimes it's, it just catches people off guard at times. And so what I do to try to overcome that is I just try to be prepared. Um, at the end of the day, I'm doing a great job. I'm well-versed. I'm prepared. Um, I have the information available. I have a great advisory team. My mentor um, was this Jewish guy, Ephraim Lindenbaum, who taught me uh, all the ropes of what to see and how to do things. And so I can only put my best self out there and allow everything um, to take place. But it's, it's definitely, you know, it is a challenge. I mean, it's something that I know I'm going up against um, each time. Um, I always reckon it like at this point in time, I've raised $1.6 million. We're looking at closing another two and a half million here in the next 30 to 45 days. We're in final um, due diligence with a couple of groups right now. 
Um, but I will always say, I mean, if I was being, you know, completely candid, if, if it wasn't for the color of my skin, I would have raised $10 million on this, on this company already. Um, there's nobody really doing what we're doing. Um, we have the client base. Right? There's, other, there's over 150 clients um, using our system. I have contracts <laughs> with banks. We are bringing in money. I have testimonials from customers. And if it was somebody else doing this, we would be, you know, on the front page of Forbes. So we just keep chugging along um, and then we'll get there. I mean, uh, do a good job, help the industry, push the industry forward and everything else will take care of itself. You're such a positive guy, man. Like, and congratulations on, on you know, the, the money, the, the money and, and just sort of your success thus far. Um do you think, or before before I ask you this question, I, do do you ever come across uh, a minority farmer, someone that owns a, a farm? Yeah, I do. I've come across actually quite a few, especially here in, in California. Um, it surprises me as well. I probably have those. They were like, "Hey, hey, it's good to see you here." But yeah, I mean, it's it, California is just a great place of the diversity. You you see a lot of different groups that are involved. I mean, you know, you got the black, browns, the purples, the greens. Everybody has touched this plant in some way, right? And it's it's had a profound effect on a lot of people. And I think um, just being around my business partner and how he kind of became an operator, you know, once a consumer, then became an operator because people really care about what they're putting in their body and really understanding that. And then... Um, the farmers and stuff, I really think, look at them as creatives in a way. Um, the way they interact with the plant, the way how they understand the the process of the plant life cycle. I mean, they're they're connected, and so it's, there's an art to what they're doing. And a lot of the individuals, regardless of their skin color or their ethnicity or anything. There, I think there's a common thread of, you know, that that creative nature that they have within themselves, as well as a uh, a propensity to, you know, want to help people and, and, and make an impact and, you know, provide, you know, alternative uses for individuals out there. Sounds like your next gig is going to be on a farm, man. <laughs> well, they get up a little bit too early. You know, <laughs> we work till three, four a.m. and then we get up at nine. <laughs> so the, you mentioned, you know, California's got got some social equity. Uh, San Diego specifically uh, has a pretty strong social equity program. Uh, other municipalities are rolling out their own. Um, what's sort of your opinion as uh, as a black person in this space on these, you know, social equity? programs that that you know essentially are designed to uh give communities that were affected by the war on drugs more of a, a leg up they give them you know tax breaks or not another sort of just help i guess right right no i mean i think the the social equity programs you know they they come from a good place Right. They they're, they want to do the right thing and they are trying to give these disadvantaged groups or people who are wrongly incarcerated on, you know, the war on drugs, an opportunity to participate in this industry. I think there could be a lot more done. I think there's kind of 
there's a lack of information in some of the, the social equity um, spaces. Some of the people that I'm running to in terms of applications are they're they're just not um, prepared or well-informed. Uh, I mean, there's more than just being a disadvantaged um, person and running a business, right? I think there still needs to be, you know, education on, hey, preparing the right business plan, um, you know, getting P&Ls and balance sheets ready, uh, just stuff because as you're as you're coming into space and you're starting a business, um, you're going to need money. You're going to need finances and there, there still needs to be a baseline. And so how can these social equity programs not only give the opportunity, but also set them up for success? Um, I think they're, again, they come from a good place and the opportunity is there, but the tools are not there for everybody to be successful. So we're just putting a Band-Aid um, on it. Uh, so what we're trying to do with Nature Track, uh, I'm trying to work with social equity um, um, applicants and programs um, here in the city of Sacramento. Um, I'm working with their social equity side, um, with their, cannab- um, their chief of cannabis enforcement, um, Joe Devlin, and being able to, one, provide them the free track and trace, but two, on the merchant services and stuff, we're looking to give back. So, um, you know, our typical um, percentage is 1%. Hey, well, on, you know, social equity applicants, we're going to start at, you know, 75 basis points or three quarters of a percent. Like, how do we help jumpstart, right? Um, we're going to do training and seminars. Um, we're able, there's a lot of other ancillary services that are are plugged into Nature Track, such as your, so your security and your insurance. Um, all that can kind of be a, a nice package so you can have a turnkey solution as a social equity applicant to be like, hey, you can come here. You got your track and trace. You got your logistics. You got your insurance set up. Here's your security plan. Here's your build out. Like, OK, how do we how do we get started? You know, where's your location? You know, what's your brand about? What's your mission statement? And then we can add, you know, really put some legs to the social equity pro, um, um, program. I think one of the things that they mentioned at the State of Cannabis, I forgot the gentleman's name. Um, he was one of the, uh, I want to say either a senator or a mayor, you know, some public figure in the LA area talked about how on the social equity side is not just for black people, right? It's not just for brown people. You know, this is for everybody who's been affected on the war on drugs. And uh, one of our missions here at Nature Track is keep California cannabis California. And, and that starts with the war on drugs. You know, people up in the hill, people that were in Mendo and Humboldt County and Trinity, that whole Emerald Triangle, you know, people were getting locked up for 10 years for, you know, 100 plants and, you know, and being ripped away from their families. So there's a lot more people than just the black and brown that have been affected on the war on drugs and the social equities here to help everybody. But again, like I said, you know, just a few moments ago, the, the program comes from a good place in heart, but we still need to be able to make it be successful. The... um. So, so it's another sort of step in this direction, the, the expungement, which has actually been, um, by it's been done in a couple of cities using algorithms, using tech, um, is, is what's the future 
for tech in this space? You sort of mentioned at the top, you know, that there's a lot that can be done uh, with tech in the space. What do you see uh, tech could be used for aside from, you know, sort of software and, and algorithms? Well, I mean, tech's useful in our everyday lives. Uh, we're behind. Uh, if you look at tech in cannabis, we're probably 2000 tech right now. <laughs> Definitely not 2019 tech. So I just think where tech's going to help, it's the transparency. It's the, it's the, it's the transference of data. You know, it's, it's visibility, Right. Um, as this slowly starts to come out the gray, you know, the black, the gray to the, you know, the clear white area where everything's out there, we're still peeling back layers. Right. Um, I'm Generation X. We grew up in dare. Right. Do not smoke. Drugs are bad. Right. You know, that was drilled into us. And, you know, and yes, I, I'm more uh, accepting, but, you know, for a lot of my high school and even early college, it's like, you know, I looked at friends and family or other people who, who use the product. And I was like, man, you just, you just don't care about yourself. Right. Like I had that own mentality. And I think there's still that stigma across and where tech is really going to help is to, to eradicate that stigma. So you can really see the uses of this plan and how it's helping people and, you know, how it helps with seizures and, you know, tumors and, you know, the whole opioid crisis. Like tech's going to be able to carry that message and be able to carry it, you know, a, a vast way and provide other avenues and arenas for people to consume the information to know that this is something that helps society. This is not just a money-making um, avenue in this industry, right? We're in prohibition right now. This is the fastest-growing industry. You know, all that's great. And, of course, money moves everything. But this is also part where, you know, we're taking back, you know, and claiming something that can help people, that can that can help with a lot of the, you know, the, the illnesses and the mental illnesses and the stuff that were the dependencies that were coming on the pharmaceuticals and things. And, and tech's going to play a huge role in just uncovering all of those layers um, to make that transparent, visible and consumable. So what's, uh, you know, you're, you're obviously super, super successful, uh, you know, in the tech space. Um probably going to be really successful in the cannabis space. Um, what advice do you have for, you know, other people who are interested in entering the space uh, from the tech side or what advice do you have for other uh, potential uh, operators that, that are black or brown um, uh, in this space? Like, like what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I tell them, come on in. There's plenty of room. Um, there's a, there's a huge opportunity, um, and, and you need all the great thinkers and entrepreneurial spirits and stuff to come in. Um, there is, but what I would do is like, you know, you got to do your due diligence, um, just because, Hey, you once, you know, smoke the blunt or something doesn't mean all of a sudden you become the connoisseur in this industry. Like talk to the people who are in this industry, who were, you know, the, the tear cakers uh, and the chieftains and stuff that were carrying this through the black market times. you got to understand where this came from before you just try to make money from it. 
I think cannabis is more than just making money. And if you can, and if you can come at it from that perspective that, you know, you want to provide a good product or you want to, or you see that there's a product out there that's not providing the complete service and you want to, you know, polish the cannonball on that and, and add a new, you know, tweak or twist to it to get that message out or to, you know, provide a better product, then I'm all for that, you know, get in there. But what I do tell people, and I'm very, um, you know, blunt, (laughs) no pun intended to individuals, but I I look at some, I'm like, a, a lot of people miss the boat. Um, People who are coming as cultivators or, um, let's say, some manufacturers and stuff, you know, the cost um, to get in, the barrier of entry is high now. I mean, you went from, hey, you could have probably started out with, you know, maybe 50 to 100 grand where, you know, you're coming in with some some capital that needs to be there. It's probably going to cost you, you know, a half a million just to get the license and go through all the approvals. You haven't even started anything yet. Um so you you got to come into that. And, and one of the biggest things I think as entrepreneurs that we run into and that's always uh, it's a barrier, but, you know, that we fell at is that you can't create a business and expect people to fund it. Right. It can't be, oh, I have this idea and I'm going to raise money to do it. Just based on an I'm idea. Like, yeah, that's nobody's funding an idea no more. That was the tech boom <laughs> in the middle '90s and stuff when everything took off. Nobody's funding an idea anymore. There has to be something concrete. So you got to be able to bootstrap and, and get in there and and really provide traction and show traction for people to get behind you because a lot of the investment um, that is still coming in is minute compared to any other industry and people are watching. Um, we're still in a very much uh, highly regulated, probably the most regulated industry by far that's in at this stage of its maturity um, or, of it, or of its infancy. And so people are watching. Now everybody's just throwing their money in there because they don't know where it's going to go. Um, the government still doesn't know where it's going to go. So people are sitting there waiting. And you got to be able to ride that storm. Um, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to you know, have a free software. I mean, at least be able to get up and running compliant and start making money during this time. We're not going to charge you, you know, $700 a user. You're paying, you know, 10, 15 grand a year just on software to be compliant, let alone the taxes that you get, that they have to deal with and everything. So just be mindful, um, whether it's the cannabis industry or any industry, you got to have a plan. Um, you got to have a product. It can't just be an idea and you got to be ready to ride the downtimes. Um, this is this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I think people get very discouraged that, yeah, you could have a great product and people are going to like, oh, this is great. And it's high fives. You have your own business. But I tell people all the time, I would gladly work for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have about 20 employees right now. And part of my stress is not the tech. Um, we're doing good. We got really good traction. You know, I'm here with TJ talking. So, you know, obviously things are going in, in the right direction, but you know, my biggest fear is waking up every day and being able to um, provide for my employees. 
because they're they're giving me their faith um, and their dedication to work hard and long hours and for you know under their pay um, for us to make this work and you know and they have wives and girlfriends and boyfriends and grandmas and kids that they need to support you know so that's the stress that I wake up every day and and, and deal with so I don't think people kind of you know look at that side yeah it's cool to have the CEO title I mean, you know when you want to throw out your business card or, <laughs> or you're at an event, but, but behind the scenes, you know, I'm, I'm a caretaker. Um, I, I'm providing, you know, uh, opportunity, you know, people are believing in me and I have to do everything to give them that respect back that they made the right decision in investing in me and investing in my company and drink. Man, it's it's really great to have you on the show, man. You're such you're like I said earlier, you're, you're so positive. You can just feel, you know, you, your passion for what you do and and growing uh, your yourself and your business. It's it's congratulations, man. Um, where, where can people find out more about Nature Track and maybe more about you? Yeah, I mean, you can check out NatureTrack.com. Um, we have our Instagram and our Facebook. Everything's at Nature Track, and Track is. T-R-A-K. Um, as far as myself, I'm not really the big social media guy, um, but uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's, you know, LinkedIn, I think it's forward slash jante.james on there. Um, on our website, we have our, our info email. That's this track team, T-R-A-K team at naturetrack.com. And so if you're ever looking to reach me, you can reach me um, via those those channels. Jonte James is the founder and CEO of Nature Track. Thanks again, man, for taking the time to be on the show. TJ, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com pad- podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, TG Brandfault. <laughs> <laughs>